Welcome back to the Rhythm of Life with the amazing Cara Grant. If you have not heard part one yet, head back into the podcast app and take a listen. Otherwise, here we go with part two. Hey, Carrie, welcome back. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Now, we finished part one talking about your marriage with David, and you guys have four beautiful children, don't you? Three birth children and one adopted child. So, yeah, we've got four. How, how was the adoption process with that, if you don't mind me asking? No, ask away. It was, it was really quick. <laughs> uh, it was really? very, yeah, it was really quick. It was six months from going for the first meeting to when Nathan walked through our front door. Yeah, six months. And, and what made you uh, kind of go for adoption? I think that uh, simply because a friend of mine said, there's a child, he's black, or well, he's mixed race. Yeah. He's about to turn two, and he's a boy. And those three things mm-hmm. mean that the chances are, once he turns two, he won't get picked up. And that just felt oh, wow. so wrong to me. And this is a problem we have in the UK. There's too many black boys staying in the system that never get picked up. Yeah. So we just had a lot of conversations between ourselves and with our children about, do we have capacity for this? And it was, you know, that, that was across a whole number of areas. Do we have the time? Do we have the money? Do we have the space? Do we, but ultimately yeah. the question really is, do I have space in my heart for one more person yeah. that can be at that level? And the answer for all of us was, yeah, we do actually, we do have space. So let's do this. And, um, you know, it's not easy. I have to be honest. Parenting isn't, isn't easy anyway. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's what we, we choose to do. And, and sometimes, you know, you, you, you have to just kind of look at your parenting and look at how you do it. And I've had to make so many adjustments. Mm. I feel like a shapeshifter <laughs> I feel like every day. I, I've got to try and be what I need to be for each of these children. All my children have got special needs. Yeah. And so all of them need to be parented in a different way. And one size fits all doesn't work for my particular wow. children. So I've had to, David and I have had to work out how to, how to be the best people that we can be in order to get the best from our children. How do you find kind of the rhythm of your life? How do you find that with your kids and your husband and your work? It's interesting that, you know, because obviously this podcast is called The Rhythm of Life. And I think one of the things that I have found is that life can sometimes throw up some really difficult challenges. And when I'm saying difficult challenges, I'm talking about, you know, perhaps even like we've had, had had a child on suicide watch in hospital you know, those kinds of issues. And you can't just yeah. kind of gloss them over and say, oh, it's fine. It's really not fine. But what I always come back to, David and I always sit and say to one another, even in this difficult time, it's not going to change quickly because these are our children. So how do we do mm. this part of our life well? How do I make this, how do I make this successful, as successful as it can be? I've got to stop looking at what I've lost and what could have been and, you know, regretting and thinking, I wish life was simpler. It isn't. And that's just a reality. So with these are the cards you've been dealt. How do you do this well? And that to me is that to me is finding the rhythm that is saying, okay, this rhythm isn't working for us anymore. It was working two years ago. But right now we've got to change the dance up. We need to switch it up a bit because it's not working for us. And that's how we constantly talk about that. How do we make this work for us? That is so interesting. You you said you mentioned your child being in hospital. Was that because of the bullying? Uh, they were being bullied, um, and I think being autistic and 
not being understood by school at all. And I think that combination yeah. made them made them very, very ill mentally. For for three years, we were in and out of hospital. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because you talk to parents and they're like, I just want my kid to be happy or I just want my kid to get their GCSEs. And I'm like, I just want my kid to be alive. You know, that became my ambition yeah. is for my child to live. And, um, and I, I, in, we learned something in all of these situations. It, it was such a difficult time, but it does change. Seasons change. And I, I really, you know, there's a time for weeping. There's a time for laughter. And the laughter eventually came. You know, we, we've, we've got through that or they've got through that. And, um, and they may go back to it. And other, we all, any of us can go to it, to a dark yeah. places, can't we? But it's not a final place. I think that's the thing to remember is that it's a seasonal thing. It does shift. It does change. And happier times come. And I think that that if you're going to be really sussed about it, like we're trying to be, is to recognise when things are changing and recognise to go, actually, this minute is great. This moment in my day, I'm chatting to Oti and she's adorable. And so it's a great, (laughs) what a great hour this has been. You know, that's that's how I view life. Is that, wow, I appreciate every last, I'm very present in what I do. And that... That helps me to get through those more difficult times because they also will pass. But how does it feel, though, to be in the eye of the storm? You know, you're going through all these difficult moments. And as a mom, I just moving into this country, I realize how much pressure moms put themselves under. How does it feel as a mom when you find out, when you get the call that your child's in hospital and you know the reason why Mm. and no one seems to get it but you? That's such a good question. I think for, you know, people that parents that have children with special needs or mental health issues are probably some of the most judged parents. And so I made a kind of agreement with myself that I'm just going to be the best parent I can be and I'm not going to judge myself. And therefore, if I don't judge myself, I'm not going to allow anybody else to judge me. But you mentioned there about the storm. And you did mention the eye of the storm. And I think that's always my aim is to get into the eye because the eye in the middle of the storm is actually still. That's the place where it's not even moving. So often I find myself whizzing round like a hurricane and thinking, why is this life so difficult? And I need to just remember to get back into the centre, to get back into that still quiet place. Remember who I am. Remember that I'm loved. Remember that I'm good enough. And when I sit in that very peaceful place, everything just looks different. It just, even if circumstances mm. are the same, it looks different. Oh my word. So if like, I'm listening to you, you sound so, I feel like actually I'm listening to a lecture, not even my own podcast. <laughs> if you, if you look at where you are right now yeah. and you go back, was there anything that was a failure in your life that actually made you who you are today? So many failures. Yes. I always think, you yeah. know, if anyone asked me a book, asked me to write a book about how to be successful, I don't know what I'd say. I would just say, do lots of failing. You know, I think that's, yes. I don't know. I, I, I was a dancer and I wasn't that good at being a dancer. So I went to be a singer. I was very good at being a singer. And then I was asked to be a coach and I kind of looked down on being a coach. I was like, I don't want to be a coach. I'm a singer. Mm-hmm. And, and it felt like a step down, but it was really a step up because it, 
it led me into realizing there's more to life than these creative gifts. It's about people. And that opened up a whole new world for me. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's loads of things that I would have thought that wasn't so good. Or when you don't, you're not doing the telly thing anymore, or where they don't do another series of fame Academy, yeah. you know, all of those things you have to kind of confront. And what I always say is, you know, enjoy these things while it lasts. You know, when I did Fame Academy and the press people would come in and they'd say to a whole host of us, who wants to do OK Magazine? I'd be jumping out my seat. I'd be like, yes, of course I do, because my mum will love it. Of course I want to do OK Magazine. And I'm equally aware that that will be chip paper in six weeks time. I understand how it works. I understand the machine and therefore I can enjoy it for all it's worth. But I also understand it's only a tiny bit of life. You know, there's a whole hinterland going on in life that is your actual life. And so... You know, it allows you to enjoy it. I never want to lose the excitement that I felt with the first day I went to work at Top of the Pops and there was Duran Duran on one stage and there was Spandau Bally on another and I was 16 or 15 or something. And, you know, just like keep that excitement. Today I'm working with Otima. We say, wow, I want to be excited. That's why <laughs> I'm so privileged that you've asked me to do this. I genuinely feel that. And I don't want to lose that excitement because... You know, let's let's you know. In six weeks' time, you might be going there, Carrie Grant. She's she's so zedless. Let's not have her. So, and that's the realities. It doesn't matter, does it? But enjoy what's there. Oh, Carrie, I love you even more now. <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> You've spoken out also about Chrome's, yeah, um, and just dealing with that, having kids. And I have a, a friend, a good friend. She also she's a professional dancer, and she has it. And and it's hard. I've I've been yeah. there for her when she's actually needed to go to hospital when she wasn't feeling well. How have you coped with it? Well, I think that it's a whole journey having any long-term chronic condition that yeah. people have and anything that's an invisible yeah. disability is always really hard because no one, everyone looks at you and thinks you look well enough. Um, so I was diagnosed at the age of 20, but at the age of 23, I had a large section of my bowel removed um, and had yeah. the surgery with, with that. And um, that was a really dark time. I, I think it took me at least five years to get my head round being a sick person you know I think also when you've had a tricky childhood you're like right when I get old this is it no man's gonna hurt me I'm gonna earn my own money I'm gonna have a career and of course no one plans to get sick do they so I was a bit shocked by that it kind of you know it took about bite you on the bum it really did so I, I it took me five years to kind of stop thinking about what I had lost. And I remember being uh, in my early 20s, laying in... So I was 18 when I got ill. I was 20 when I was diagnosed and 23. That's why I'm saying five years in. Yeah. At 23, I laid in my hospital bed at four in the morning in the darkness and just thought, how did I get here? How did I... How did life become so small that it's just counting minutes to the next pain relief? How did my life become that tiny? And it's kind of like a voice in my head said, you've got to stop looking at what you've lost and start looking at what you've got left. And it was a real, like, I don't know what happened in my brain at that point. Some neural pathway clicked in and suddenly life felt very different. 
So I think yeah. from that moment, I was like, okay, let's look at what we've got left. Okay, I'm in hospital. I'm stuck here. Well, I could start writing. Let's learn, let's learn how to do creative writing. If you, if you can't sing, you can't dance, do some other creativity because I'm definitely a creative that I know about myself. So throughout life, it's always making something out of nothing and looking at what's left. Yeah. This isn't what was planned, perhaps. Many of us have situations where you're like, this isn't what I planned. How's this happening to me? Okay, well, mm. once you get over yourself... And, and and accept that this is not how it was, was meant to be. There's actually something really great about whatever's left. What's le- What little morsel have you got that you can make something with? And so yeah. Crohn's has been a really hard journey, really difficult. But I feel that what I learned in my 20s is the stuff that is getting me through my children's situations now in my 50s. That's the same. What I learned in that dark, dark place, there's golden beautiful nuggets to be felt to be found at the bottom of the darkest places if you just scratch around in the darkness a bit you'll find a little bit of gold you pop it in your pocket and years later that bit of gold is really valuable and so I feel that Crohn's whilst it's been awful and debilitating and and quite frightening and I've nearly died a couple of times of Crohn's but with that there there are there is something in there that I've learned there's there's still some magic to be squeezed and rinsed out of it yeah, well, where where do you get your fight from, Kerry? You you say you almost died. There is a moment where you have to, obviously, in your mind, it's mind of a matter, where you go, I'm gonna fight to live. Where yeah. where is that from? I think partly it comes from my faith, if I'm honest. But I think it's also there's something very, you know, death is scary, but also you can't kill a dead man. There's something very powerful. I've, I've faced death. So, you know, you know, the, what else, how can you going to, how are yeah. you going to scare me? What are you going to come with at me? Yeah. You know, so when my, when my son, you know, throws his worst at me and says, you're not my mum," I'm like, yeah, all right. Yeah. I've had worse. You know, <laughs> some people would be broken by that. I'm just like, okay, he's angry. His behavior is telling me, you know, he's yeah. telling me how he feels. So, you know, I need to just hear him rather than make it about me. Um, but that, that's yeah. how you face all the things, rejection, hate, hurt, hurtful stuff, pain, all of that. When you faced your own mortality, it, it is empowering, I think, eventually. I mean, it takes time. It's, I don't always feel like that. There are times where I feel defeated. But, but by and large, by and large, eventually my mind will default to being stronger again. How do you come out of it when you feel defeated? What are what are you what are the steps that you take to be like I'm changing? I'm changing yeah. today. I refuse to be yeah. down. I find the eye of the storm. The thing you were talking about. I find mm. God, I find my faith. And I think no one can touch this bit. You can rob me of anything, anything, but you can't touch that bit. That's just me. That's me and my maker. Yeah. Going on there. And uh, and that that's that's where I return to, I guess. It's like a default position. Yeah. You also said um, earlier on that your children all have learning disabilities. Um, it, it, there's a name for it, isn't there? Like neurodiversity. Yeah, you got it right. So they don't have learning yeah. disabilities, actually. They're all very... Sorry. All, no, 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 no. Don't apologise. This, this is Sorry. a great opportunity for me to... For me to learn. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So neurodiversity, you could be autistic but not have a learning disability. Some people do. Um, some people have both. But So two of my children are autistic and two have ADHD. Actually, one has autism and ADHD, which is a whole bag of tricks. Um, and so I've had to learn a lot. I've had to really brush up my skills in parenting. <laughs> I was about to say, how do you, how does homeschooling work? We've just had a year of, of 
yeah what we've had and you've had to homeschool do you homeschool them anyway or do you well it's interesting my 15 year old was thrown out of school at 11 and they were out of school for three years and oh. so we we've had them at home which means we're sort of trying to work and be full-time carers um and then they went back they found we found a school in the middle of lockdown and they now have started school again so we've wow. we've had almost reverse of what everybody else has had i think i think what yeah. i think what it shows is that you know for many people that are living with children who have got special needs it's it's quite hard because you're kind of not relatable anymore you're you're your own little community but i feel like now the rest of the world has gone wow isn't this really difficult wow my children have got mental health issues and i think those of us in our community are kind of going yeah and <laughs> We've been living this yeah, our entire children's life. Not get on with it. It is a bit of get on with it, but it's also no one cut us any slack when we were saying, help us. Our children are out of school. Our ch- one child is on suicide watch. One child is at home. You know, no one really came with any empathy for that. But suddenly now we're all experiencing yeah. a little bit of that. We're going, oh, hey, that's difficult, isn't it? You know, and, and, and so that's, for me, that's one of the benefits of, of having done this whole pandemic thing is that we've all found a little bit more empathy for one another perhaps yeah has has it actually been helpful to actually be able to speak out yeah. about it and and be like this is what i've been living all my life and yeah i mean I, I i talk about it all the time because i think it's really important that people understand and, and i have you know it may be a small voice but i've got a voice and many of our community mm. have no voice and so anything any little bit amount of fame that i get if you want to call it that any bit of celebrity you know they're the things that i want to use that for it's a currency and it's the that's how i want to use my currency is to make a difference is to make change yeah my my dad always said that my dad always said if you ever ever have a platform make sure that you use it to make change or actually do something positive with it and i love that about you oti i sense that when i very first met you that you are not someone that just dances you're someone who has yeah. a purpose in your life and a, des- a sense of destiny in your life and you will use it you definitely will use it and yeah. the older you get the more you'll use it and and that's just that's the that's the great thing about life isn't it it just is the continual growth yeah just one more question because actually i just remembered you you're married to david who's actually black yeah. yes he actually is <laughs> yeah he actually is and my husband's also a white so how was that because i haven't actually spoken to a lot of couples who who have been in interracial relationships yeah. i don't know what it was like um here in the united kingdom when you guys got together in south africa for us we went the first time together and it was just eyes everywhere it was just eyes and i remember just moving to the united kingdom because this was the first place i as a, a woman felt like oh my god nobody's staring at us like we're weird like yeah this is actually normal but you've done it 35 years mm-hmm. before us in a way how was that for you guys you know in a way ot i kind of don't want to say that it was difficult because i feel that where you come from is a whole yeah. different level. So I, I'm just, I just yeah. need to say that before I say anything else, you know. No, we, no, we no, spent... I think it's different levels. Yeah, it's and, different and levels South Africa is a, is a very, is and was <laughs> a very different, difficult, different situation. So back in the 80s, it was very difficult. People were really racist. My father, when I went to see my father, he said, I hate black people and I hate Christians. So I hadn't scored on any level, really. But then my father 
my father had a real life-changing moment at the age of 56 and he went to Bible college and then he became a missionary and he went to Sierra Leone and he lived in Sierra Leone and he died in Sierra Leone. Oh my word. And my father is buried in Sierra Leone. And um, so, you know, people ch- people turn around and I think that's the most important thing to remember. People change. People do change. So I think there, you know, I, I couldn't believe when I met David, he'd just get stopped by the police every day because he drove a fast, he drove, drove a Porsche. So we'd get stopped every day and I'd say, what, how do you put up with this? And he'd say... And he wasn't even moved by it. I was like, I was furious. Um, and, and yet he was like, well, this is just how it is. Um, it's normal. And, and it's normal. So there, there, there were lots of changes. I think Stephen Lawrence's death really made a massive difference in the UK. However, you know, during lockdown, David has been out twice in the last year walking the dog and someone has come out different, different streets, two different people saying, get off our street don't want you walking no. on our street yeah with one and another no. guy saying get off our street stop walking your dogs on my street i've seen you looking in cars <laughs> which is you know hilarious you know we hardly want your ford fiesta mate oh my. <laughs> um so it's That's, oh my word but you know so and and i watch my children um going through life Hopefully. and i look at the situations they have been in and, and experiencing racism and and so it's a passion of mine to be the best ally that I can be and to advocate where necessary. I mean, obviously they can speak for themselves, but where, where it's necessary, I can also speak up. And yeah. I, I've also seen, you know, I watch my, my husband kind of placating white people sometimes trying to educate them and, and they, they kind of demand that sometimes, like it's up to you to educate me. And I, he's so sweet the way he does that. And and he listens to all the dumb questions and he answers so politely. And that slightly annoys me on one level. But I guess if you can get past the dumb questions, then we can get to some meaningful conversation. And and ultimately, you know, I think it is we are all the same, but there are wonderful differences. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's a lovely dynamic. I, I love David's culture. I love all yeah. the different cultures around me. And I, I totally celebrate that. Um, but at the same time, there is so much we have in common. And I think it's holding those two things together, really, that makes makes for the magic, you know. And, it, and it's the same. We have so many intersections in our family. We have non-binary. We have queer. We have mixed race. We have neurodiverse. We have Jewish. We have Jamaican. So all of those, our family is like, it's so different and diverse. Mix. But that's, it, it, as the Jamaicans say, it's mixed up bad. Uh, so that mixed up bad is, you know, that that's how, that's how we are. But that's also the opportunity for some incredible it's dynamic it's dynamic because it's different yeah it's it's so weird because with the george floyd situation that happened here in the united Kingdom, i always always feel a little bit hesitant about talking about it one because i'm not from here so my kind of perception of racism of history in the united kingdom is so completely different i am south african my roots my opinions and my ideas of what racism discrimination and equality are are so different to also what i've experienced in this country because i came in as ot yeah. So there was never a reason for anyone to kind of treat me in a funny way. And um I never go to areas where I could be the black girl in the situation that people don't know. Yeah. Um But as a mom, as a white mom to mixed race children, how, how do you feel when people go, 
it doesn't exist. It's, it's not true. And and you see yeah, your husband really bugs go through me. it. You see your children go through it. It bugs me massively. And also not to say it's not the whole country. It's not the whole country. But people do say it's, that's not true. I'm not racist. Therefore, there is no racism going on. Even though people are saying, I do experience it every day. I think that um, two things. I think that um, it's almost like the worst insult you can give someone these days is to tell them they're racist. No one wants to hear that. But it's not for white no. people. It's not for white people to tell black people how they experience yeah. racism. It's for black people to tell the rest of the world what they're experiencing, whatever that looks like. Yeah. And I think that's important to remember. It's not for me to say, it's for, for my children to say, yeah. this is what I, it doesn't matter how I'm experiencing. I've got that white privilege, so I'm not going to yeah. experience it in the same way. It's important I hear what is being said. And when you look at all the tiny, tiny, tiny little microaggressions, it's those little things that, you know, even for my children, you know, it's like at school, the pretty girl, the white, blonde, blue eyed girl, you know, and, and if that's there and they're not taught to celebrate their hair or realize, you know, Afro hair is sacred. This is yes. an important, it's, it's, it's on a whole other level. And I, as a, as, yeah. as a white mum, I understand that. And I, I want to be the best keeper of the hair for my kids, you know, when they were growing up. Um, <laughs> I love that. And, and don't touch it unless you've asked permission to do so. It's not the same as a pregnant yeah. belly. You don't just have access to people's hair. So even something as simple as that, it's important that we, I understand that and I've still got stuff to learn. But for the wider community who don't experience interactions with black people, they don't know that stuff. So they, they, they just think, well, why are you complaining? What's your problem? How, how do you educate people when it comes to that stuff? Because people go, well, my, my granddad or my uncle, they're old. They live in the country. They don't know. They still call people by certain names. How do we get to them? How do we educate them? And of course, I'm not asking you like you have all the answers, but just yeah. what, what do you feel? I think that... Um, those people, perhaps they won't change. So are they really the important focus? Probably not. It's about younger people. When I talk to my kids' friends, I'm like, wow, these guys are amazing. You know, they really have got, they've got the energy for it. They've got, they understand it so much better. And that's what we have to be building on. Maybe the older generation, they are the way they are. Maybe, maybe, maybe for some people, that's their calling to go and talk to the old people. For me, they're not my people. Mm-hmm. My people are the young people. Yeah. Carrie, I've loved, loved, loved yes. talking to you. Lovely so, talking so much. to you. It's... You're one of life's gems. <laughs> oh, thank you. You are one of life's gems. <laughs> how how are you just so positive? That's I have a couple of last questions. How are you so positive? Because you've been through so much and you're still yeah. incredibly bubbly, light and positive. How do you do it? I don't think life is black and white. I think life is grey. I think that there are challenges that are going to go on and there's some really good stuff happening too. And it's about having, holding both of those things in tension. That's the challenge for all of us rather than going, I'm happy or I'm sad. How do I get to be happy? Just like hold it all, hold it all, embrace it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, you know, whatever comes at you. And somehow it starts to feel a little bit better, I think. Yeah. And what, what are the hopes, your hopes or dreams for the future? That's such a good question. My hope for the future is that if things don't change from the top, i.e. politically, policy-wise, government-wise, then for those of us that feel we're at the bottom to actually create something that's so beautiful that we don't really need the top, 
that we create groundswell mm. and we create community and we go in a sense go back to how it it was in my grandparents generation you care for one another you care for your neighbor you really do you go out of your way to actually care for people i that's my hope is that we all stop asking somebody to do it for us or stop looking at how divisive people work and just go do you know what whatever's going on out there our thing we're going to create our own thing we're going to have a party here <laughs> all the misfits come to my house all the people that don't fit in you're welcome in my house because we're going to create a great life out of all this stuff that nobody else wants that to us is treasure that's my hope yay and on that note that was the perfect way to end this that was amazing thank you thank you so much Carrie, for coming and joining me here on the rhythm of life i i wish you the best thank you so much i feel so blessed to have it had this hour with you i i really 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 will cherish this chat forever thank you